Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our fifth season, we are looking at Joe Johnston's 2011 film Captain America, The First Avenger. I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast. And I'm Pete Wright, and I'm glad to know that I can use an exclamation point for the I now. <laughs> you sure can. Today, we're talking about Minute 122, which begins with the third floor and ends with the Star Spangled Singers. Back on the show, it's Eric Deutsch. Hello, Eric. Eric. Hello, hello. Thrilled to have you uh, back to talk more credits with us uh, today. <laughs> uh, this minute starts off with, uh, you know, we, we ended last week on method, and now we're looking at post-visualization, the third floor. Post-visualization. Um, I was curious what that was do either of you know much about post visualization um i'm gonna say no i mean i could none i could make a bad guess projects. but that's, right. the, that's the best i could do <laughs> i should say none of my projects required andy <laughs> so what it is it's um they they basically work with companies to who are doing like all of the different visual effects and stuff to kind of create a system so all the different places can can kind of work together to help you visualize all the different stages of it so they help you with the storyboards in the post-production um or like the, the specific effects storyboards in the post-production and um work with the different companies through the whole thing and they're they really start in pre-production and go all the way through post but specifically they really help the creative people especially those people who you know this is one of the complaints of the visual effects uh, workers that these directors come in and they they keep changing their ideas what the third floor does is they try to help you visualize it as specifically as possible every stage along the way to help everybody else understand what you're trying to do does that make sense? Yeah, it seems seems like a useful function. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> I don't really know what else to say <laughs> about what they do. Good for them. But it seems but it's funny because it seems like an important group that in the credits they only get the company name credited. And I guess I don't know. Yeah. I guess I'm curious, like with things like that, I feel like why is this a company that only gets the company name and doesn't get thirty credits of people who yeah. are involved in it and i guess i don't know i i don't understand the logistics of post house contracts perhaps maybe that's where we're we're sitting like why don't yeah. they get to have any names on it so right because like when we're talking about this is it is it the third floor and there's a team of 50 people working on this or is it a team of like three guys with laptops right right yeah i don't know but it is important um and i do wonder like I know when I see you know behind the scenes featurettes, I'm thinking of stuff unrelated to this, but stuff like I remember in the Lord of the Rings when Peter Jackson was working on the post visualization for I think specifically the scene I remember of the special features was when all of the goblins are when they're in the mines of Moria and all the goblins are coming in and there's the big cave troll and stuff. And and Peter Jackson was essentially wearing an oculus and walking around in a stage but he could see the set and the space and yes. stuff so that he knew how yeah. to position the cameras for the effects and things and 
I that's what post visualization is doing. It's the real time green screen, like the real time well, set stuff. Any of they're involved in any of it, like anything from the storyboards all the way through to the end. Like they're helping you come up with, you know, visualize essentially what it is you're trying to do. Yeah. And again, why are no names on here? Just the company. Yeah, I don't know. That's really interesting. I uh, we did uh, a huge thing, you know, back when I was on television news, we had first started exploring virtual sets and they were setting us up with very rudimentary type um like moving tethered moving cameras so you could see what the TV would see. Uh but we never we never had Oculus headsets. That was not a thing. Didn't quite get that far. No, we never got that far. <laughs> Can you imagine? What a dream. Crazy. Okay. So that leads us to cyber scanning. Cyber scanning by 4D Max. I don't even know what cyber scanning is. Is that when they are is that what they're talking about when they talk about making like a, a digital double? Is that are those the cyber scanners? That's exactly what it is. They scan people, they do full body scans, they will scan I they it says they do character scanning, and I don't know what that means. Like, do you give them like a visual like a a, a file of like a digital character that you've created and they can scan it and then manipulate it to tie into like what the body is doing? I don't know. So cool. Uh but that's and they also do props and stuff. So I I don't know. I I don't know specifically what they did for this film, but I would be wouldn't be surprised if, as relates to props, you know, there's a particular shield that gets thrown a lot, yeah. around a lot. I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if they were involved in some of that. Interesting. Yeah. And then, of course, three D conversion by Stereo D. Um, <laughs> Eric, Pete, and I just talked about jaws 3d over on the next reel <laughs> as our ah, member yes. bonus episode that was, that was too loud that yes was too loud. <laughs> hey you pete are saying that that is like what have you you said that is your new favorite movie of all time i love it i watched that on hbo as a kid so that means i was watched not in 3d Right, and it was fun tr- clearly noticing what scenes I was supposed to be seeing in three, like the arm floating in the water. When you're just watching it though on a TV and HBO, you're like, "Yeah, without the 3D, this isn't really uh, an exciting shot." It's not really right. doing it. Not really doing it. <laughs> it's so funny though. Are you generally a fan of 3D? Well, I mean, here's here's a question. Do you remember the first 3D movie you saw? I have I, I have only seen three movies in 3D in a movie theater in my entire life. Wow. Um, okay. What? It's, it's it's not it's not that big of a deal to me. Um, I saw when I was in high school. I saw Freddy's Dead: The Final Nightmare. Okay. Yep. Um, Do you think that's a reason that you don't see more three D movies? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I remember they 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 passed out the glasses, and they were like, "There's a point in the movie when the main character is going to put glasses on. You put them on at the same time, and you'll see the final descent into Freddy's dimension in three D." And so. She put the glasses on, and the whole theater was like, oh, here we go, here we go. We put on the glasses, and we saw the big final battle in 3D. <laughs> the only other two movies I've ever seen in 3D was, of course, the first Avatar, and then uh, Thor. Oh. Uh, is is the only other movie I ever saw in 3D. My friends and I were to see it, and we are like, yeah, you know what, let's see one of these Marvel movies in 3D. And we didn't really feel that it added much to the experience, to be honest with you. And so ever since Thor was kind of disappointing... I sort of feel like I don't know that it's worth the extra money to me and it's not really enhancing it. And then to have to sit there with the glasses on the whole time, it doesn't really do much for me. And my kids have never asked to see any of the movies in 3D either. Did you feel that way with Avatar? Um, 
because that's because I think that's there's the difference there is like that one is filmed specifically for 3D. Where yeah, that's the four and so many yeah. other films they were these post conversion because you know the theaters have 3D and hey might as well fill it. Yeah, no, Avatar was clearly impressive. Um, not impressive enough that I'm going to be interested in seeing the the sequels, but it, <laughs> it certainly was a, a technical achievement. Well, and I guess that's the thing is. And this is my problem with 3D is it should be treated as something that's special for special movies that where mm. it makes sense. It shouldn't be this thing that ends up being uh, just a post conversion thing that just gets slapped onto far too many things. And I mean, to be honest, the the the, the short things that I've seen in 3D are impressive, and those are specifically made for 3D, like the stuff at Disney World that were supposed to the short things you go into that are like 10, 20 minutes Muppet long. Muppet Vision the, 3D. Yeah, Muppet Vision 3D. That was very good, but that was made for 3D. Right, um, right. At Madame Tussauds here in New York, they, they had a, a special, a Marvel, like 10, 15 minute thing that was specifically in 3D that was very good. Uh, at the New York Aquarium, they have, you know, the, the sort of science-y things, that, you know, sharks or something like that, that, right. you know, specifically meant for Those things are very good in 3D, but again, those were specifically made to be seen in 3D. And I think that's the issue. This was a post-conversion process. Uh, mm-hmm. Interestingly, this company also got 250 credits, just like in yesterday's minute, the lead uh, vendor for visual effects double negative. So uh, 3D takes a lot of people, I guess, to go through shot by shot. And that's why you have so many roto artists on this who are cutting all these people out. And essentially, I like to think of 3D like what they do with movies is essentially turn them into viewfinders because, you know, viewfinders, it's all these little cutout things that look like it it creates that 3d effect for you. And I feel like that's essentially what they're doing with movies is just making a whole bunch of layers that are supposed to be a kind of a 3d effect. And Pete's friend, Trey Cotton is one of the people here. Yes. uh, Mm. Thank you for mentioning. Okay. <laughs> I'm very, very happy. <laughs> Back to Trey. Uh, Back and, to but Trey. St- Stereo D, which is now um, SDFX Studios, now they've rebranded and they have uh, their. They don't actually have a website yet. It's just a picture of um, uh, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, floating in space. But I think isn't Stereo D like one of the only shops around? Don't they kind of have all the business for doing these conversions? Like who else competes with SDFX? Like for post conversion, I yeah, they may be. Um, obviously, they're not involved when it's a company when they're shooting it in 3D, like you know James yeah. Cameron. But um, I don't know. I honestly am not that versed in it. Um, I know the next company, the Base Studio, they actually were mm-hmm. helping Stereo D. So it could be one of those things where Stereo D might be the big vendor, and then they bring in some of these little vendors out, to help yeah. out. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. That's interesting. It's interesting. I don't know. I feel like this was a period when this movie came out in kind of like the mid aughts to the mid teens where it seemed like every other movie was getting converted to 3d like everything was getting converted to 3d and nowadays like i know there are some big films that get released in 3d but i don't feel like there are that many like i mean obviously avatar way of the way of water is 3d right now and then doctor strange and the multiverse of madness what else has been 3d lately uh, tar is, i think I'm tar was with... 3d right <laughs> <laughs> <God>. <laughs> uh 
that movie's struggling enough to make money. Don't please don't throw 3D at it. <laughs> um, I I don't. Uh, I I'm with Eric. Like I right now, I there was a time where I would choose the 3D version of the movie to go see for a while. Yeah, and I just don't do that anymore. I only like I same thing. I I I was always picking 3D. Like during this window of time, pretty much everything. If I had a chance to see in 3D, I would. And it wasn't because I thought they were always better, but I was curious to see what they were doing with it. And I remember like probably the worst experience I had with 3D was uh, it was either Clash of the Titans or Wrath of the Titans. One of those two. It was just I mean, it was atrocious work that they did on the 3D process with that film. And so I don't know. It's but I have hit this point where I'm just like, it really needs to be something that is special. And unfortunately, most of these just take away anything that makes it special. And it makes people not want to see stuff in 3D. So, yeah. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? All right. Well, we get into sound design, uh, re-recording mixers. We always like those. Uh, Foley artists, ADR for for uh, the dialogue and stuff. Um, the sound of the film. How does the soundscape work for both of you? Is there anything sound-wise that really stands out that says they did a great job with the sound in this film? I think the sound is great. I mean, are you about are you about to tell me that you're going to complain about the sound? I don't know. I really like the sound of this film. <laughs> is that where we're going to fight about this right now? I, 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 to, to reference a future Captain America movie, I feel like this movie is going to cause a civil war between you. Oh. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, well, Eric, I mean, are there any particular things in this film that stand out as like a sound that... Um, you feel has become like iconic as it relates to like Captain America or anything? Nah, no, I'm nothing comes to mind. I mean, Thor's hammer in the last film was like so iconic. I'm trying to think. I mean, I guess that, uh, when he throws the shield and stuff, does it feel like there are any particular? Is there like a swing? Yeah, I'm trying to remember if I if I go. Oh, there's the iconic shield swing. <laughs> I don't think I've ever said that before. <laughs> oh, Andy, if I had a dime. <laughs> Uh, you know, I will say the sound that really stands out for me as I'm thinking through this movie, it relates to the Tesseract. And when they would when at the beginning, like we talked about, oh, when sure. when she, yeah. when Red Skull opens the box and you get that sound that just like emanates around the room. And we're like, is that diegetic sound that we're hearing? Is that like the Tesseract actually making the sound or is this just something we're hearing? But it is always there every time the Tesseract is there. I just like that. It, it's something that feels spacey and interesting. And so that's a specific sound that I can point out as something that I really like that they did in this film. And it does come back multiple times, especially when he's eaten up, when Red Skull is eaten, eaten up. It, it's, it's like the blue goo beam sound. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. I like it. I'm in favor. All right. Well, we go from uh, from them to the music and uh alan silvestri and his whole team of uh the people who are working orchestrating the music recording mixing uh producing all that sort of stuff um are you a fan of this score eric yes i am um i know i can't i'm not i know we're not at the song yet but yes the score as a whole yes i mean in as it relates where do you stand on marvel in general with music like do you uh, do you like their music? Do you feel like uh, I, a lot of people complain about like the the lack of memorable themes when it comes to the Marvel films? Are you in that camp? Uh, I think it's a fair criticism. Um, I obviously love the Avengers main theme. I really like the music in the first Doctor Strange 
Um, I've liked the music in the Spider-Man movies, but yeah, on the whole, I don't find it too memorable. Uh, I, I, the MCU as a whole musically. And, and so, I mean, cause Alan Silvestri, like, I like the music in this film. I also at the same time feel like, well, it's kind of the main theme that I like because I, I can recognize the main theme as it relates to Captain America. And I like that it's something that is kind of consistently played through later films when Captain America comes up. And so I guess that's the thing that makes this one stand out as something that has that memorable moment. But otherwise, I think about the rest of the score. And as much as I love Alan Silvestri, I also can't think of any other themes in the movie. Yeah, well, now all I can sing is the Star-Spangled Man in my head. Uh, but I'm sure once I get started, I could get through it. <laughs> the rest of the score. I just It's just the da-da-da-da-da. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. That's, that's, yep. that to me is the score to Captain America. And I don't know if that's fair, because obviously there's a lot of other notes that he wrote <laughs> for the film. I just get stuck on that. And I'm just like, I, and same thing with the, the Avengers. I'll be curious to kind of go through that again and see what I think of Alan Silvestri, because I love Alan Silvestri as a composer. Yeah. Yeah, I love him too. Um, it's interesting that this, other than this, he only did the, the team movie. This is the only solo MC movie that he did. Otherwise, then he just did the four Avengers movies. So I wonder... You know, why did he not come back for the Winter Soldier or, or why did he not come back for any of the other solo uh, outings? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm not really sure uh, that's I, I get frustrated with Marvel in that capacity. Like, I would love some consistency with some some music. I mean, there's I, I think so often the musical theme for a particular character can so easily bring that person back like captain america's theme in this film every time you hear it in whatever film it happens to be you hear that and you go oh that's captain america because the theme plays with him and i i feel like if some of some if they were more consistent with their composers they could have some more consistent themes built across the whole thing but uh, i guess that's just how i like my film music but yeah. oh well. <laughs> that's how you like your film music that's how i like it baby um, all right. Well, we go into digital intermediate. Uh, do either of you know what a digital intermediate is? This is uh, uh, this is part of the uh, processing pipeline, like between effects and and film. Um, not necessarily between uh, effects and film, but um, it's it's really the place where they're doing a lot of the color change. This became, I feel like the digital intermediate became really big around 2000, and the film that I always think about it, uh, think about with it, is Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? And that was the first time that a whole film was done with uh, with a digital intermediate, where they basically right. recolored the entire film, and they in a very specific way. And so I think that's what I think of when I think of digital intermediate is the place where they can go in and really start doing a lot of more specific manipulations with everything. Yeah. Uh, so that, this is where we get the credits for our digital intermediate, uh, company by eFilm and, uh, main titles by rocket studios, Pete, there's your exclamation point. Yes. Uh, I'm very excited about that. Um, I am changing my name to include an exclamation point upside down. <laughs> well you've got it you can do it in your last name that's what i mean yeah that's where it will be i was just gonna i was gonna say you could add a i to somewhere else in one of your names but it may uh, not. just a, i'm just gonna change the t <laughs> <P -I -E. laughs> um yes rocket and i don't know how to write their uh domain 
name in the web browser. Did they use an upside down exclamation point? Well, they're, they're you can't find them anymore anyway because now they're method. That's right, they're method. Yeah. Okay. Were, now, were they bought? Did they go out of business or did they merge? I following thought, along our conversation yet uh, uh, yesterday. I, gosh, you know, I feel like we talked about that also when we did art of the title, um, looking at the propaganda bits. I cannot yeah, remember yeah. specifically, but interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I don't okay. know. And thankfully, but see, here's an interesting thing. End titles by Scarlet Letters, which is an admirably good name. Oh, absolutely. They And I feel like that is a name that I see on pretty much every movie. Yeah. I don't know. If, if you wanted to get into the movie industry and then you realized, you know, my calling is end credits. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's Saul Bass and I guess there's everyone else, right? <laughs> I, and I'm not putting them down. I mean, obviously... It's a lot of names. It's a lot of stuff that is to get spelled right. It's figuring out the order. You know, far be it from me to complain about what has to go into the credits in a particular film. But um, yeah, it's. I mean, I'm looking at Scarlet Letter right now. In 2022, they they probably did uh, 40 different movies. Uh, so yeah, they they're busy, I guess. Yeesh, crazy. Yeah, 40 movies. That's a lot. Um, all right. Well, at the very end of this minute, we do start the songs. Uh, do you two want to talk about Star Spangled Man now, or do you want to talk about Star Spangled Man tomorrow? I love this song. We may as well talk about it now. Okay, here it comes. <laughs> <laughs> this song, I love it. I loved it the first time I saw the movie. It's a, it's an earworm that gets stuck in my head. I absolutely love this song. If you had been asked to pick some minutes earlier in this film <laughs> would they have involved the the musical uh there is there's a legitimate chance there is a legitimate chance i might have gone for that okay okay i can i can imagine having some good conversations with you about it it's i mean i'll tell you it's an earworm pete and i were singing this song for weeks <laughs> <laughs> And it'll be weeks from right now. We will continue to sing it. <laughs> Absolutely. No, the lyrics are great. The The tune is incredibly catchy. I was just singing it in the car. My wife and I were driving, and I was singing it without realizing I was singing it. And then I couldn't figure out what I was singing. And I'm like, what is this that I'm humming? Because, I, I, you know, it's as we're recording this, it's, it's the holiday season. So I constantly have Christmas songs in my head and I'm like, and I, my brain was like, it's a Christmas song. It's a Christmas song. I was trying to figure out what it was. And then I'm like, Oh my God, I'm singing Star Spangled Man again. Yeah. Yeah. It, it happens. I mean, if you were listening to a serious XM channel, that was 1940s music and this song came on and you'd never heard it before. You wouldn't think that it wasn't a song for the 1940s. Not even a little bit. You wouldn't think it was a song from this, from this, you know, from the last 10 years. Yeah. And I think that's uh, incredibly um, an accurate portrayal of Alan Menken and the way that he writes the music, because the music feels very much like you're getting out of, uh, you know, that whole Yankee Doodle era, right? Mm -hmm. It It totally has that same vibe. I think... Maybe if you look at the lyrics, uh, you know, Zippel, his lyrics might be a little ahead of their time as far as uh, this era. But on the whole, it really feels like a piece from the period. 
it's pretty impressive. Yeah, you could really imagine that listening to it in the period, you just might not, you might think, oh, I'm not getting some of the jokes, right? That yeah. they're out of time. But I don't think even the lyrics are so grotesque that you would just not understand the song. I think it is. I think it's it's just, well, it's perfect. It's perfect, for, especially for that particular montage. Yeah. Has it come back? We've not, we have not heard this song in any of the other films, right? I don't think so, but am I, I forgetting so. something? No, I think this was it. Okay. I was trying to remember, like... Yeah, did it come back in any of the other cat movies? Well, that's what I was wondering, because he goes back to the museum a number of times, and I'm like, was it playing at some point in there? But I don't... Like when he walks around and... Yeah. Yeah, in uh, Winter Soldier. <sighs> hmm. When he's listlessly I'm not staring sure. off in the distance. I'm not sure. Yeah. I can't... Uh, my head is telling me that the music, because he's so pensive in those scenes... That it's always like Alan or Alan's uh, or yeah. just the score just playing like pensive music as he's remembering all of his lost friends, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. It's not going to be. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it would be March. as he's looking at all the, the images of all his dead friends listening to Star Trek. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, probably right. Okay. All right. We solved that one. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have a few nicknames uh, to, to test you two on. I want to see how you do this time. No Super Mario, but we do have depth <laughs> artist Eric Montano. Any idea what Eric Montano's nickname would be? Mono. Mo <laughs> Monster. But it is Emo. Oh. Aha. Uh -huh. Emo. Eric I hope he's listening Montano. to this and changes it to Mono. Eric Montano. <laughs> Next up, we have Farzad Namju. Oh. Um... Farzad <laughs> Manju, um, but his his friends just call him Frisbee. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, saw this as I was rewatching the minute, so I definitely oh. disqualify myself. Oh no! <laughs> well, okay. why don't you say right. it then? Fuzzy, fuzz. It's fuzz. Yeah, <laughs> okay, that's good. Or fuzz. Fuzz. Good. fuzz. Yeah, fuzz. Yep. Yep. yeah, fuzz. Yeah. All right. Next up, that. we have roto artist Edgar Garrido. This is actually not. I I don't know. Sometimes I see these. I'm like, eh. Is that a nickname or is that just, you know, somebody calling you your name for short? Eddie. Eddie. Oh, yeah, yeah that's not All a right. nickname. I know. That's I'm like, come on. Name. You're going to put that in the credits? Th yeah. That would be like, you know, Andrew Andy Nelson. Exactly. <laughs> like, I would yeah. never in my life do that. Like, that is nonsense. All right. Last one we have is comp artist Giancarlo Garcia. This one is a, I, I, I don't know where this one comes from. I'll tell you that. Giancarlo, uh, Giancarlo Garcia. Um, um, oh, no, I remember him. They call him Pancake. <laughs> <laughs> um, Goose. I like both of yours better. His nickname is Sai. Sai? S-Y-E. S-Y-E. That's why I like. S-Y-E. Like, where does that come from, from his name? Like, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. Yeah, I don't uh, know. Yeah. Um, the last, uh, uh, we have uh, a roto artist to call out, Ron Howard. That's right. <laughs> I imagine he wasn't doing a side hustle. <laughs> it's, not the, it's not the same one, we should say. <laughs> no, I just like to, who have we had so far? We had Ron Howard, we had um, Matthew Broderick mm -hmm. last That's week. That's right, good memory. There was another one, I can't remember, but yeah, it's always funny to to see these, so. Yeah. 
All right. You just like it because you have an Andy Nelson. I do. You're right. A few other random or so juniors and thirds. We have one, two, three, four juniors. We have one, two, three, four, five thirds. And this is interesting. We have a junior who actually goes by a second. Now, Pete. Oh, dear. You and I. Yeah. <laughs> this is this whole thing. We've been around. Eric, just so you know. So last week, we had Tommy Metz the third on to talk about minutes. So we learned all we about. Had to deliver, we had to deliver yeah, him some bad news. Rules about being a third. Yeah. So there was definitely some interesting stuff there. Like when, like you can only be a third if all three generations of you are alive. Did you know that, Eric? Oh, I did not know that, actually. Yeah. If the, fir- if the first dies then the junior becomes the first and the third becomes the junior. Yeah. So we had to tell Tom live on the air that he's not a third. That's right. He's a second. Oh, you shattered his whole world live on the we, air. Oh, yeah. that's what we did. And he was really stubborn about it. He says, I don't care. I'm still. Third. <laughs> yeah. He said, I'm, I'm, I'm going after Miss Manners. That's what he's yeah. right there. <laughs> so, but now Pete, we, now this was something else that's come up because we're currently on the next reel. We're doing the Thin Man series, and the director Which of is bonkers in so many different I know, ways. I know. This it's, name. It, it's so, uh, so the director, Major W. S. Van Dyke, is credited as the second, and we were like the second. Like I thought, like everyone was a junior, unless you were like royalty or something. What was the thing with the seconds? Do you remember? Like, how does a junior get credited or get a second instead? It has to do with... Because... Yeah, what was it? A second... A junior is a father-son relationship. A second is just another living relative in the line. So the first could be the grandfather, and the second could be the grandson, skipping the father completely. If the second is also a junior, it's because the first shares his name and is his direct parent. Wow. Okay. So, Eric, there you go. (laughs) Are you a second, Eric? Did we just shatter your world? (laughs) No, I'm, I'm I'm not any of them. I that's completely different from what I thought a second was. So I'm glad to to be taught this. Well, what did you think a second was? Because like, I for thought me, a yeah. second, I thought that a junior was if you have the same exact name as your father, and I thought a second was if you have the same first name as your father but a different middle name. And I don't really oh. know why I thought that. I don't know where I heard that from, or if I made it up myself when I was a kid. <laughs> but that's for some reason that's what I always thought. Interesting. Interesting. It, I, I think we've, I think we've really um, changed some lives today. <laughs> <laughs> if there's one thing we're aiming to do with our minutes of credits, it's changed lives. So we have <laughs> succeeded. We have succeeded. Um, all right. Well, I don't have anything else for today, uh, unless either of you two have something hot to talk about. Let's wrap it up. All right, Eric. Uh, tell everybody again about the podcast that you did. Yes, so I was the co-host for both Escape from New York Minute and Flash Gordon Minute, uh, and those are both available on any of the podcatchers that you might use. And then I've got Facebook groups still active for both of them. Brains Library is the Facebook group for Escape from New York Minute, and the Flash Gordon Minute is the Flash Gordon Minute Listener's Vortex. 
Fantastic. We'll have links for those in the show notes. Just a note with the show notes, uh, you might have to look on our website. We, we definitely have them showing up on our website in the, uh, the podcatchers. They're not always showing up depending on what you're using. So just be forewarned. If you are looking for show notes, they are in on the website. So you can check that out there. Um, all right. Well, I, I think that's it for today. So we'll be back tomorrow with Minute 123. Pete, thanks as always. I will return as Pete Wright. With an exclamation point? <laughs> no, I just mean like this is the sort of penultimate minute. To oh, the, okay. To camp, I'll be back in the Avengers. Andy, God, okay. do you watch these minutes beforehand? <laughs> Until next time, true believers. <laughs> Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is Spread the News by Anthony Vega, and this season's show art is by Winston Yabo. Find the show at truestory.fm, and if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, consider doing that for this show.